Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. The sad fact is that so many Christians pray, yet they don't truly have faith in God. We believe He can provide, He, he can meet our needs, He can answer, but we're not really willing to risk all our hopes and put them on the line in a trial of faith. We're too afraid of a sick heart. We'd rather have little faith than put our God to the test. There is a reason that God cried out in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, Prove me. I believe this area of prayer that we're going to begin talking about over, I don't know, one, two, I doubt three, but maybe three episodes— I believe this area is one of the most untouched areas of prayer by Christianity, but I truly believe that it is next-level prayer. And so we're going to begin talking about the elements of next-level prayer. You say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I thought we were on a series entitled, Where is my church going? Ten signs, your church is changing. You're right, we are. We'll get back to that series very shortly. And uh, But I don't like to do everything back-to-back necessarily. I like to try to space it up a little bit so you don't get bored. And uh, so here we are. We're going to talk about next-level prayer and some things that God has taught me in my own personal life about prayer. And so let me thank you for joining me today here on the podcast or for being a listener of Sandy Creek Stirrings. Um, If you are on Facebook, let me encourage you to go to our Sandy Creek Stirrings page. Leave us a review on Facebook or even share one of our posts. It would allow other people to be able to find the same content that you know and enjoy. So let me encourage you to do that. And uh, also, if you have a question, we just did our Q&A episode, second Q&A episode, I believe the episode just before this. And uh, let me encourage you, if you have a question, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us those questions. You can email me. Joshua at SandyCreekStirrings.com. Again, that's Joshua at SandyCreekStirrings.com. Now, we're going to be looking at next level prayer. I want to use a starting place of Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse number 24. Um, Mark chapter, did I say Mark chapter 11? I did. Mark chapter 11, we're going to start in verse number 12. And Mark chapter 11, verse number 12, if you have your Bible, you can grab it. If you don't, just listen in, I'll read it to you. Mark chapter 11, 
verse number 12. It's talking about Jesus and the disciples, and it says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he, speaking of Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went to the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And so Jesus does all these different things. And then we find in verse number 19, And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree, the one from the day before. They passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance. Remembrance what? Remembering what had happened with the fig tree yesterday. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. This is next level prayer. You know, we come to this passage that I just read to you, and Jesus is heading into Jerusalem. Before entering the city, Jesus sees a fig tree. Now, the Bible says, and I'm just kind of giving a recap of what happened. The Bible says that he goes to the tree, sees if there's any fruit on it. He's hungry, and there was none. And before his disciples, Jesus curses this fig tree and declares that it will never bud, never blossom, never give fruit again. This is the, and uh, after that, the, we have the famous scene where Christ goes in, he overthrows the tables of the money changers, he chases out the wickedness in the temple. I mean, a holy and righteous anger from our Lord Jesus Christ. In the morning, they pass by, Jesus and the disciples, they pass by the same route and see the same fig tree from the day before. And it stands there, what used to be leaves and just, oh, a beautiful fig tree. Now it's nothing more than a dry twig sticking out of the dirt. It's withered away. And the disciples are shocked as they point to the tree in just amazement. I mean, their jaws are dropping open. They're, look at it, it's dead. And Jesus turns to them and gives them a simple statement. Have faith in God. You see, this was the whole point of the fig tree. Jesus is the all-knowing, omniscient God. He knows everything, past, present, and future. And when Jesus came to this fig tree, he already knew there's no figs on that tree. Yet, why did he do all of it? He did all this as a lesson to the disciples, a lesson on faith and prayer. God, by the way, wants to teach us about prayer. How? By testing our faith, God will teaches about prayer. Faith is a necessary ingredient of prayer that so many throw by the wayside, so many misunderstand. Can I just tell you this? Faith is not prayer. It's a belief in an answer to prayer. 
Faith is the, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. It's the, it's the substance of things our heart hoped for, even though our desires uh, are not even in view. Faith is the ingredient in our lives that is necessary to please God. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews eleven six, without it we cannot please God, for without faith it is impossible to please Him. You know, the sad fact is that so many Christians pray, yet don't truly ever have faith in God. We believe He can provide, we believe He can meet our needs, He can answer, but we don't risk all our hopes and put them on the line of a trial of faith. We're, we're too afraid of a sick heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 12, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Instead of risking, oh, I don't want my heart to get sick, instead, we just have little faith. We don't put our trust in God. We don't put God to the test. There is a reason God cried out in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, prove me. In this passage here in Mark chapter 11, Jesus doesn't teach his disciples about praying for the daily bread or for forgiveness. He teaches them something completely different. He's already had the model prayer with them, where Jesus prayed and said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, that was just an outline. That was not a prayer that was supposed to be repeated, and this is what you do. It's kind of like your math teacher. Remember your math teacher in school? They would go to the chalkboard if you're older or the right and white board if you're younger, and they would say, let me give you a math problem. And they would put a problem on the board, and then they would show you how to work the problem, right? And then they'd arrive at their answer. Now, let me ask you a question. When you went into your math homework, was it— was the same problem there for every single portion of your math homework? No, they were all different problems. But what did you now know? You knew how to work out the problem. The prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's not the prayer for every situation. It's simply how to work the prayer, all right? So it's an outline. It's a structure to how to pray. And so in this in this, this passage, Jesus doesn't teach his disciples about praying for daily bread or for forgiveness. He teaches them to pray for the impossible. Yeah, he teaches them to pray for the impossible. It's next-level prayer. He teaches them how to have mountain-moving faith. Now, this doesn't mean that because the disciples prayed, all of a sudden Israel was going to become as flat as Florida because of their prayers. Jesus was simply using that mountain as a metaphor for praying for what only God could do, to risk it all in a trial of faith. And Christ caps it all off on, with the verse that most Christians in their prayer lives leave untouched. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, which said, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Can I just read that to you again? I want you to get this. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. That was Mark 11, Verse number 24. You may think to yourself, well, I, des I desire a, a shiny new Corvette. So if I pray and I believe that I'm going to get it, then I'm going to have a new shiny Corvette. God will give it to me. No, that's not what this verse is saying. 
these desires that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 11, verse number 24, are very specific desires. They must meet certain qualifications, and if they meet those qualifications, God will answer. By the way, you'll never have an unanswered prayer. God always answers. It doesn't mean he always says yes, but he always gives an answer. Now you say, well, it says in that verse, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. So how big can my desire be? Can I tell you this? Your faith is the only limit. You say, does God really care about my desires? I know we're supposed to pray for our needs, but should I pray for desires? Friend, he cares more about your desires than you'll ever realize. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22 says, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. It shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Listen to this. If ye then, being evil, remember, we're naturally evil at heart. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests. Did it say your needs? No, it said your request. Does that include desires? Yes. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Well, it just means needs, right? No, it says all things. Psalm 145, verse number 16 says, Thou openest thine hand, speaking of God, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. This is next level prayer. It's not only praying for the impossible, but it's also a portion of it is learning to pray for desires as well. God cares. Now, I said that these desires had to meet certain qualifications. And so I'm going to give you a checklist, all right? I'm going to give you a checklist of things that you have a desire in front of you. You say, should I pray to God about this? Should I pray to God and ask God for this desire that seems impossible? Should I take this to God? Here's a checklist you can go over before you even pray about it. And if it checks off the boxes, it meets the qualifications, pray about it. And so here's a checklist for you. What are the qualifications for a next-level prayer, for a mountain-sized desire? I'm going to give you a couple things. Number one, the desire must be good. The desire must be good. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 11 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And so here's the first qualification you can ask yourself. Number one, is this desire that I'm thinking about praying for, is it good? You say, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's good. I, I want it. It's good. No, 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 no. 
Is it good based on God's judgment and not your own? There are many things we think would be good, but in God's perspective, they are not good. Proverbs 14, chapter 12, or four, Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are some things that you think, that seems like the right path. No, it's not. Don't go that way. In essence, saying, there are some things that we're going to think, that's a good idea. No, it's not. God says, nope, the end of, the, the end of that is the way of death. And so we may think that a, a shiny new Corvette would be good, but God knows it wouldn't be good because most of us would break the speed limit in it. So you say, well, how in the world, that's it. how am I supposed to know if it's good according to God? I believe that you can test that qualification, okay? Test qualification number one by the next qualification, how do, if I know, how do I know if it's good according to God? Test it by the second qualification. Number two, the desire must be for God's glory. The desire must be for God's glory. Ask yourself, is this glorifying to God or to me? How would I use this request for God? Here's a great question. Is that my first thought in this request or was my first thought about how much I want this thing I'm asking for? How can I use this thing for God, for His good, and for His glory? That's the question to ask. Who will get the glory, you or God? When this thing that you're praying about comes in, who's going to get the glory? How will God get the glory out of it? How are you going to use it for God? The Bible says in John chapter 14, verse number 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Did you notice what the qualification was, though? Why would he do it? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. It would bring Him glory. By the way, the whole purpose for your creation was to glorify God. That was the reason you were created. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 7, "...even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him." You were created for glorifying God. That's your whole purpose. Your whole purpose in your life is to bring glory to God. That being true, which it is, that being true, wouldn't it only be reasonable that faith should be for God's glory? God didn't give us faith and say, here, use this for yourself, bring glory to yourself. That's not why God gave you faith. God gave you faith so that when you risk it all in a trial of faith, you can stand up in church one day and say, hey, let me tell you a blessing. I was praying for this. It was impossible. There's no way that it could have worked out. But God did it. God gave you faith to use it for his glory. Here's the deal. If we can work it out on our own, then it's not faith, and it removes a portion of the glory God would receive. If I could, if I had a particular desire, and if I just cut my spending a little bit, maybe saved up some money for a month, and I could get it done, um, you know, two weeks from now, then that's not faith. That's working it out. And by the way, there's some things that God just wants you to work out. There are some desires, you know, maybe you want a, a particular new thing, or you want the new this, or you want the new that. 
And God says, no, I'm not going to give it to you. Work your job. Save your money. Cut your spending. Work it out. That's not faith. You need to adjust your finances. God's going to let you work some of those things out. And sometimes, because of that, it removes a portion of the glory that God would receive. It's not necessarily faith. But God gave you faith, trusting in something that the Bible says— which um, which is the substance of things hoped for, but it's also the evidence of things not seen. Can't see it, but we're praying for it anyway. And so we can base that off of, number one, is the desire good? Number two, is the desire for God's glory? And here's the third one I'm going to give you for today. Number three, and this is not all of them, but number three, the desire must be founded on a promise. The desire must be founded on a promise. Do you remember the story of Joshua in Joshua chapter 10? You say, which one? The children of Israel were fighting the Amorites. And if you remember, they were fighting and the sun began to go down. And Joshua stands in the midst of battle, people fighting around him. And he looks at the sun and says, sun, stand thou still. Moon, stand still. What faith? And by the way, they did stand still. What faith? Can you imagine? I mean, we're looking. Can you imagine if somebody stood up and the sun is starting to go down and we're in church service and all of a sudden somebody stood up and said, Son, stand still. We'd be like, what a loony. That guy's out of his mind. He's crazy. Can you imagine? These other guys are fighting around Joshua. All of a sudden they hear this big loud voice, Son, stand still. I can imagine just everybody on the battlefield stopped. They're, they're not fighting each other anymore. They're just staring at Joshua with like a dropped jaw. Like, what is this loony doing? He's crazy. I think he got hit on the head. Um, why? Can you just see that? But what faith Joshua had? What mountain-moving faith? I mean, how could Joshua be so sure that the sun would stand still and the moon would stand still? It's because of qualification number three that we just gave. The desire was founded on a promise. God had promised him that they would win the battle before the sun went down. And so Joshua simply claimed a promise of God. By the way, God said he cannot lie. Joshua said, you promised me that we would win before the sun goes down. We haven't won yet, so there's only one thing that can happen. The sun can't go down. So sun, stand still. You're not going any further till we've won this battle. So let me ask you this, what desire are you praying for? What desire are you considering? What promise have you claimed before God? Maybe it's a, I know we've been talking mainly about desires, but let's go back to needs for a second. Maybe you're praying about a need, and you you think there is no way this can work out. There is no way I'm going to be able to work this out. There's no, This is impossible. But maybe you could claim the promise of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, which says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God promised he would provide for your needs, so claim the promise. And when the need comes along, say, God, you promise, so I'm going to trust by faith that you're going to work this out. Have you, maybe, maybe you've been spending a lot of time in prayer over this thing. Maybe you claim the promise of James chapter 5, verse 16, which says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Maybe you've been praying and an answer hasn't come yet. You can claim Jeremiah 33, 3, which says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. God promised to answer you, friend, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What promise can you claim? 
You say, well, I don't know. I, I've got something that I'm praying about. Maybe I've got a big decision. Maybe I've got this. And you say, I've got this desire I'm praying about. I, I, I don't know. Read the Bible. Say, Holy Spirit, would you give me a promise from your word? If you want me to pray about this, if you want me to test my faith, would you give me something from your word? And don't be surprised if something from God's word sticks out to you in your personal reading. And as you're reading along and you see, oh, wow, look at what that verse says. Wow, that just, that Holy Spirit speaking to me through that verse. I think he does want me to put this out on a trial of faith. Let me tell you something. God wants you to test out your faith. God wants you to try out your faith. God wants you to test next level prayer. Let me ask you, when's the last time you prayed for something impossible? You thought there's no way that it'll ever happen. There's no way. That physically cannot happen. A mountain physically cannot be moved unless you've got some severe, some severe uh, mountain moving equipment. But there's no way I could look at a mountain and say, be moved, and it be moved. When was the last time you prayed for something impossible and allowed your faith to be put to the test? When's the last time? Can I put it this way? Because, by the way, it's a biblical line of thinking, Malachi chapter 3. When's the last time we put God to the test? When's the, how many times does God look at our lives in prayer and say, prove me. Pray for something big. Pray for something impossible. Let me prove myself to you. And how often do we just pray just normal prayer. We never pray next level. When's the last time you prayed for something impossible? And so we're going to continue this series. I have one, two, three, oh, three more, three more um, qualifications for the desire as well as a couple other notes that I'll give you. And uh, so let me encourage you to remain um, in tune or stay tuned for the finishing part of this episode that'll be coming up on Next Level Prayer. If you have any questions, you can always send those in to me, joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. My friend, test God, prove Him. Pray for something impossible. Make sure it's good. Make sure it's for His glory. Base it on a promise. Until next time, my friend. Keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.